You're listening to the Fortress Church Audio Podcast. We're a church all about loving God and loving people. Let's listen in to our lead pastor, Randy Garcia, from this past Sunday's message. So open up your Bibles and tune in. But today we get into part five of our sermon series, The Devil's Tactic. And uh, today we're going to talk about complacency. So many times we fall into the trap of complacency and it's exact, we end up exactly where the devil wants us to be. Jesus talked about how we should not fall into this trap. This is found in Luke chapter 9 beginning with verse 23. He says this, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Thank you, Lord God Almighty, that you've sent your Son from heaven to earth so that he would be our life. And today we have not just life, but we have abundant life. And we thank you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would not only cover this place, but in our hearts as well. We thank you for the privilege of serving you. We give you glory and praise, O God, as we get into the teaching of your word. May you just manifest your presence into our mind and our heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray all this. Amen. You may be seated. Before we get into the core of our topic today, uh, the devil's tactic, complacency, I want to do a quick review because this is week five of the four weeks of this Bible study. Uh, of this sermon series. And by the way, uh, although we're ending today, next Sunday, especially for those of you who are parents, you don't want to miss next Sunday, our special guest is Rhoda Schultz from Denver, Colorado. She wrote a book called Lost and Found. And perhaps you have a son or a daughter or maybe a grandson or granddaughter that is not serving God and you're praying for them and you just kind of, Lord, what do we, how do we deal with that? She wrote this book called Lost and Found and she's going to be a blessing to us next Sunday. And I uh, know you will enjoy both at 9.15 and 11 o'clock. Today, I just quickly want to do a review because I don't want you to forget about the many tactics of the devil. Let me just walk through a few. Just want to take a couple minutes. First of all, we learned about the tactic of picking up offenses. And sometimes we have the tendency someone does us wrong. We pick up an offense and, uh, and some things take place. And we, 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 we learned that, that the fact that so many people nowadays are picking up offenses. It was actually prophesied by Jesus that this would happen in the last days. Matthew 24 tells us that. So we got to be careful. The devil devil would love for you to pick up an offense and be offended over what someone said or someone did. The devil would love for you to get angry over it. And uh, maybe something, someone did something to you. You want, he would love for you to hold a grudge. Don't do that. 
Uh, unforgiveness is another one of the devil's tactics. Sometimes someone does us wrong and we just don't want to forgive. Or maybe uh, guilt is another one of the devil's tactics. Or maybe mind games. Remember, guilt is something the devil puts on us and we've got we've to be careful. Mind games. The devil plays games with our mind. Remember, we learned this. The devil wants you to entertain thoughts that are not of God, believe things that are not true, or do things that are not right. So what we learned there is don't give the devil a foothold. How about temptation? We are oftentimes tempted by the devil, and, uh, and sometimes the devil will tempt us. Remember that we learned this. The devil can't make you do anything. The devil can't make you do anything. The devil, now he can tempt you, but he can't make you do anything. So if you ever say the devil made me do it, uh, that's a false statement. The devil can't make you do anything. Remember this. We learned this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you far more than you want to pay. So we learned some great lessons. Now we're going to get into uh, this topic of complacency. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, because when it comes to understanding what the devil does against us, sometimes uh, we go to an extreme, sometimes we go to the other extremes. Well, we, here's, what we, uh, here's what he says. Sometimes we think too much of the devil, and other times we think too little about him. So I want to teach this in the realm of, uh, of balance because I don't want you to think that there's a devil and a demon behind every bush. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Got to be careful about that because we don't want to go overboard. But yet the devil is out to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's what the Bible says. So we've got to bring that in balance. And, you know, sometimes uh, I heard one guy said, oh, I was driving down the highway and I ran out of gas, that stinking devil. I'm thinking the devil didn't. You just forgot to fill up your car with gas, huh? You know, don't blame the devil on that one, okay? You just, okay? You know, sometimes we give the devil way too much credit. You know what I'm talking about? But sometimes it is the devil. How many know we need wisdom? Somebody say wisdom. Sometimes the devil does attack because he is out to steal, kill, and to destroy. So we want to have balance. Don't think too much. Don't give him too much credit. But at the other time, don't think too little because he does come against us. We got to be careful about that. So let's take a look at the devil's tactic of complacency today. It's easy to fall into the trap of complacency, doing nothing, ignoring the danger of what the devil might do when we are in the wrong relationship with the Lord. There's a legend that goes like this. There were three demons hanging out, and they wanted to, to, to uh, bring in, they wanted to, to uh, bring in more victims to their master. So how can we do this? So one demon, first of all, he says, okay, let's convince the people on earth, let's convince these Christians that there is no God. The other two said, nah, it's not going to work because most of these Christians, they already know the power of God. Uh, we, we're not going to convince them that there is no God. Well, okay, what else can we do? We need more people in hell. Okay, so uh, what else can we do? Another demon said, well, why don't we do this? Let's convince the people that there is no hell. Well... Yeah, but there's some people that they've read the word of God and they know there really is a hell. So that's going to be a hard one. That's going to be a hard one. So finally, a third demon says, I got the solution. Here's what we need to do. What we need to do is convince the people on earth. Oh, this is what we could do. Tell them that they can wait to turn their life over to Jesus. Tell them that they can be complacent in their spiritual life and live in a comfort zone when it comes to to their faith in God. And they said, that's it. That's it. So that's what they decided to do. Of course, that's a little legend. But I do feel that the enemy tries to lull we believers into the spirit of complacency. I looked up good old Webster, and he defines complacency in this manner. 
He says, complacency is a feeling of quiet pleasure, often unaware of potential danger. Uh-oh. You know, how many know when we become complacent, we may not be able to identify the devil's tactics? Unaware of potential danger, self-satisfaction, or smug satisfaction. I like that word smug, okay? All right. But th- that's what complacency is. So be careful about falling into the trap of complacency. Four lessons we can learn from Jesus' words here in Luke chapter 9. Number one, the devil wants you to be complacent about your relationship with the Lord. Jesus said these words in verse 23 of Luke 9. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now that's a whole other scripture, just that one verse, because that's powerful of what Jesus said. He says, if you want to follow me, do we have any Christ followers in the house today? Amen. So what does Jesus say? What do you got to do? First of all, number one, he says, deny yourself. What does that mean? It means not my will, Lord, but your will. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. What does it mean, take up your cross? There's, sometimes there's a cost to follow Jesus. But wait a minute, Pastor Randy, I thought salvation was free. Yep, salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. We got to take up our cross. Now, does it say take up our cross once a week? Does it say take up our cross once a month? Daily. That's right. You know what? The devil wants you to misunderstand that word daily because daily tells us that we need to have a relationship with the Lord God Almighty. Amen? If you see someone every day, you have a relationship with him. If we, we must have a daily relationship with the Lord God Almighty, and the devil wants to do all he can <clears throat> To stop us from that. He wants you and I to be complacent about our relationship with the Lord. And then last of all, and follow me. That's what we need to do. Follow the Lord. Got to have faith. This is centered around faith. Reminds me of the African Impala, which is in the antelope family. I read that this African Impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet and cover a distance of greater than 30 feet. Yet these magnificent creatures can be caged up in an enclosure in any zoo, but with a three-foot plywood wall. Because these animals will not jump if they cannot see where they're going to land. Kind of reminds me of a lot of Christians, man. If I'm not going to see what's going to happen, I'm not going to take a step of faith. That's the way a lot of Christians are. I got to know what's going to happen. But sometimes God says, you got to take a step of faith. You got to trust me in this. That's what God often says. You got to trust me in this. But some of us are afraid to take that step with God because the devil wants you to just just stay where we're at and be complacent about our relationship with the Lord. Ran across a statistic. Barner Research did a, a study back in 2016. That wasn't too long ago. And they said this, this is the result, 73%, 73% of Americans said, I'm a Christian. They identified themselves as a Christian. That's a good news. Bad news is, they said that only 31% are actually committed Christians. Because once those 73% identify themselves as Christians, Barna went a little further. Okay, how often do you read your Bible? How often do you have the daily devotions? Do you go to church regularly? Do you serve in your church? Are you part of a small group? So they came up with this percentage saying that 31% of Americans are actually committed Christians. So this statistic grabbed my attention because if my math is correct, 
and I went to Jefferson High School, by the way, if this is correct. That means 42%, go Mustangs, 42%, right, Lewis got the smile out of you right there, Kim. 42% of Americans today are, I'm going to say this, complacent Christians. They say I'm a Christian, but they're not really committed. They're not committed to what it means to go deeper with the Lord, to have that intimate relationship with the Lord. And, and i got to tell you, that, that kind of bothered me a little bit because that's a pretty large percentage of our population. 42% of Americans are, uh, uh, we're going to use the word, uh, complacent Christians. I have a feeling this message needs to be preached to America. A man told his doctor one day that he wasn't able to do all the things around the house he says, doctor, I can't do that honey-do list that my wife has for me to do. Can you examine my body and see what's wrong with me? The doc did an explanation, and then the man said, okay, doc, I can take it. I can take it. Just tell me in plain English what is wrong with me. The doctor said, well, in plain English, you are lazy. <laughs> the man said, okay, can you give me the medical term for that? <laughs> no, there's no medical term for laziness. You're just plain lazy. He says, yeah, he wanted to tell his wife the medical terminology for laziness. I have a feeling that laziness is a, is a cousin of complacency. Got to be careful about that because when it comes to our spiritual life, some of us are just plain lazy. There's times I, I use the acronym W-I-N because I want to win. And I use that to say what's important now. If there's something I need to do, well, do I need to do it now? I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to be lazy about it and wait to do it next year. Or next month, if there's something that God says you need to do it, I'm going to do it. No more laziness. No more complacency. <clears throat> no more complacency. I remember a guy who was, uh, who was sick, very sick in the hospital not too long ago. And, he, and he, uh, I found out, he had been in the hospital for like four days. Found out about it, went over to visit him and pray with him. And, and he had, i got to tell you, he had a negative attitude. I can tell you about him because he's not here right now. I looked around he's not here. <clears throat> but uh, but he, he had a negative attitude. And, and he said, Pastor, I just don't get it. I've been in the hospital for four days, and nobody from the church has come to, come to pray for me. I said, okay. Uh, uh, did you? I said, I just found out a few hours ago, and I, I didn't know about it. You didn't, call, you didn't call me. You didn't call the church. Well, yeah, but, you know, y'all are supposed to know. How are you going to find? Well, what connect group are you part of? Well, I'm not part of a connect group. You're not part of a connect group, and you're not connecting with the body of Christ, and yet you're upset that we didn't. Yeah, I said, I said, brother, I, I love you, but you need to get connected. And, but that's the way, you know, his attitude uh, was because he was lazy about being part of a connect group, complacent about that. Got to be careful because we need each other. Amen. We are better together. Number two, let's continue to look at Luke chapter nine. The devil wants you to fall into the trap of being satisfied. Not only does he want to ruin your relationship with the Lord, but he wants you to be in this satisfied mentality. So verse 24, this is what Jesus says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, now when I read that, I'm thinking, man, we got, i got to get busy serving God. I want to give my life, and that way everything is in God's hands. But if I sit back and do nothing, I'm going to lose my life. Sometimes we get way too comfortable in our spiritual life. Sometimes we get, even get pretty good at playing this Christian, uh, the Christian game. We, we got to be careful about the trap of complacency. 
read the story about the Titanic. Everybody knows what the Titanic was. And it turns out, I, I didn't know this, but when the workers of the cruise ship were getting things together right before the infamous trip that they made, the workers were loading some lifeboats into the, the big, huge ship. And they got complacent. They loaded about half of the lifeboats, and they said, ah, it's too much work. Let's not do the other half. It's just way too much work. And they got lazy. They got complacent. Uh, we're not going to need those, the second half of these lifeboats. And look what happened. Their laziness, their complacency cost the lives of many people. Got to be careful about complacency. Got to be careful about it. Now, let me give you another illustration to help us understand complacency as it, as it revolves around our spiritual life. Suppose I was driving down IH-10 here in San Antonio, and I'm headed about 90 miles an hour. Chances are I'm going to get p- pulled over by a cop, given a ticket for speeding. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about, okay? Yeah, that's going to happen because I'm going too fast. And you know what? If I'm going 90 miles an hour, I deserve a ticket. Now, on the other hand, if I get on I-10 and I'm driving and the speed limit says 65 and I'm driving along at 25 miles an hour, guess what? I could get a ticket. I've never gotten a ticket for going 25 miles an hour and 65, but I could get a ticket. Why? Because I'm going too slow. I'm holding up the traffic. I'm I'm a hazard on the highway. Now, here's my point. If you apply that to spiritual speaking, if you're going too fast in your journey with the Lord, sometimes we get ahead of God and we are violating God's will for our lives. You deserve a spiritual ticket because you're getting ahead of God. How many know sometimes we're tempted to get ahead of God? And that's when God says, come on, I got to pull you over, got to slow down. But then there are times that I'm on my spiritual journey and I'm going too slow. You know what I'm talking about? And God says, come on, get a move on. And God just gives, gives me a good kick. You're a hazard on the road here. You're violating my spiritual will for your life. You know what I'm talking about? If you go too slow on the journey of your spiritual life, in other words, if you are complacent, you deserve a little kick from God because you're violating God's will. Okay? You understand what I'm talking about? We've got to go in God's will, in God's timing. Do I hear an amen to that? I heard a story about a a water well well digger. They were digging a water well, and they started digging. They went a certain amount of feet, about 50 feet in the ground, and they found some water. All right. They were rejoicing because they found some water. But then the, the director of this little water well project said, let's go deeper. And some of them said, no, no, we found the water. It's fine. Well, let's go deeper. So they dug deeper. And as they dug deeper, they found more water, fresh water. And, and oh, that's pretty good. They went down about 95 feet. So it was, okay, we accomplished what we needed to accomplish. But no, the, the head, the director of this uh, water well digging project said, no, let's go down deeper. And they went down even deeper. They went way down in there. And the deeper they dug, the better the water was, the purer the water was. And it, it, was, it was a blessing. The more it flowed, and they were able to bless others with this water well. The point is this. Sometimes in our spiritual life, 
we, we dig a little bit in our spiritual life. We dig a little bit in the Bible and say, oh, that was great. And we become satisfied. When all the time God says, can you go a little deeper? Can you dig a little deeper? Because if you dig a little deeper, it's going to be so much better. And so you dig a little deeper. Oh, man, this is good. God showed me this, and God taught me this, and you dig deeper here. Wow, that is amazing. And sometimes we enjoy that uh, deeper sense in our spiritual life, but other times it says, okay, you've gone that far. Can you dig deeper? And it's like, okay, God, I'll go ahead and dig deeper. And perhaps you are familiar with this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, our goal is not to stay on the shallow part. Our goal is to dig deeper and learn more about the Lord and get closer to God. Do I hear an amen to that? Don't be satisfied. The devil wants you to fall into the trap of being satisfied. By the way, this week's Digging Deeper Notes are part four of the bait of Satan. And the topic is this, the right attitude toward offense. If someone offends you, you've got to have the right attitude about it. So we're learning that. Of course, the Digging Deeper Notes are in the Connection Hub, and you can use them for your personal study or your small group, your connect group. Great quote from A.W. Tozer. He says this, Complacency is the deadly enemy of spiritual progress. The contented soul is a stagnant soul. Great quote. The contented soul is a stagnant So Don't be stagnant. Whenever something is stagnant, can I tell you something? It stinks. Just saying. Whenever something is, don't let your spiritual life be stagnant. Number three, what else can we learn from Jesus' words in Luke 9? The devil wants you to be complacent about your spiritual life. The next verse, verse 25, Jesus says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? In other words, there's sometimes that people are, are, they have the wrong perspective in life. They're searching for riches or they're, they're, they're dealing with this or that. And they lose their focus on what's most important. What is most important? Our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what, most, what is most important. But so many times people in this world are chasing the pie in the sky and they're looking at this and, and, and they get distracted. Kind of reminds me of what's happening in, our, in our, the world, uh, in our United States of America, even in the political realm. I'm, I'm not going to get political, but I will say this. A lot of times people have these, these, these issues. Well, this is the issue, and that's the issue. And I'm thinking, no, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? See, the devil wants you to take your mind and your focus off of biblical issues and focus on exterior things that, well, what does it profit a man if you gain all this but lose your soul? So I encourage people, don't be complacent. Get out and vote. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I will tell you if, that I vote according to the Bible because the real issues are biblical issues. See, there are political issues. I'm not going to go there, but there are biblical issues. I am going to go there because there are things in the Bible that tell us what needs to be done. What does the Bible say about same-sex marriage? Well, the Bible says homosexuality is a sin. That's not a political issue. It's a God issue. The Bible says if we, about abortion, if we take a life, we're kind of being like God. I mean, no, that's not a political issue. That is a God issue. 
who's on the throne issue. So I don't mind talking about biblical issues. So when I vote, and believe me, I, I love to vote because I'm, I'm doubly blessed. I'm a Christian and I'm an American. I consider myself doubly blessed. So when I vote, I look at the candidates. Where do you stand on biblical issues? Okay? I don't vote according to a party. I don't vote. I just vote according to where these candidates stand in accordance to God and God's word. Because what does it profit a man to gain all these other things but lose his soul? Those are the words of Jesus. Those are the words of Jesus. So don't be complacent. Sometimes couples are complacent in a marriage. And what happens? Their marriage goes south because they're complacent about their love for one another. Reminds me of the, of the couple who went for counseling, and uh, the, uh, the counselor says, well, what, what can I help you with? And the wife says, well, my husband never tells me that he loves me. The husband says, honey, 22 years ago when we got married, I told you that I love you, and if anything changes, you'll be the first to know. Huh? Yeah, wrong love language. But what happens? They, 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 over the years, got complacent. Kind of reminds me of this other thing I ran across, how things change in marriage over the years. Because when you're on your honeymoon and you're all lovey-dovey, things are great. But how many of you know as the years go by, it's a challenge. The seven years of a, of a married, of, of your spouse's cold. Because as we come to the seasons change, sometimes people get a cold, a virus. So the first year, the husband tells his wife when she got sick, Sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle, and there's no telling about how these things are going around. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in the hospital this afternoon, and uh, I'm going to ask the doctor to give you a checkup, and you need to have good rest. I know the food in the hospital is lousy, so I'm bringing by some tacos from Las Palapas, and got it ready. Second year, she gets sick around the fall. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of your cough. I called the doc, and uh, we're going to rush you over. He's going to take a good look at you. Uh, uh, you. You go to bed, get some rest for right now, and I'll clean the house. Third year, she gets sick. Maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something. Uh, is there any canned soup here? You know. Fourth year, she gets sick. Now, look, dear, be sensible. After you fed the kids and washed the dishes and washed the floors, you can lie down. Fifth year. Honey, stop complaining. Just take a couple of aspirin. Sixth year. She gets sick. I wish she would just gargle something instead of sitting around all evening barking like a seal. Seventh year. You notice the complacency, the love. Oh, we're losing that love. Seventh year, for Pete's sake, stop, snee- stop sneezing. Are you trying to give everybody in the house pneumonia? <laughs> ah, things change because the love is lost. Complacency can happen anywhere. <laughs> Somebody once said, and I wrote this down. I don't even know where I got this from. People are the same everywhere. They just act different when they fall in love. People are the same everywhere. They just act different when they fall in love. Mm. So, yeah, when, when you're in love with somebody, yeah, think, things are great. Don't lose that love. Don't get complacent about your love. 
But then I also took, wrote down that statement. I thought, you know, that applies to my relationship with God. Because after all, if I truly love God, I'm not going to get complacent about my relationship with the Lord. And I asked myself, am I in love with the Lord? And, and I started thinking, you know, then I'm going to have the want to. If, I, you know, if a husband and a wife are in love with each other, they're going to have the want to, to spend time with each other, to minister to each other, to pray with each other, to, to, to baby each other and all that. That's what love does. And when I'm in love with God, I need to have the want to. If you're in love with God, you're going to have the want to to spend time with God. If you're in love with the Lord, you're going to have the want to to give to God. If you're in love with the Lord, you're going to have the want to to make church attendance and connect group a, a priority in your life. Those who are not in love with the Lord don't have the want to. Perhaps they've gotten complacent about their spiritual life. I was encouraging a man to join us at Man Up. We had a great time yesterday. We had about 237 men here in the sanctuary worshiping God. It was a great time, and uh, we just enjoyed it. But prior, uh, about a week ago, I said, hey, you, you, need, you need to come. And, and he says, yeah, well, maybe so. He was complacent. So I, I got him. Uh, I got him to go, and he, come, he came, and, um, and he was having some struggles. And we ended about 4 o'clock. About 30 minutes later, I got, a, I got a text from him thanking me. Thanking me, thank you for encouraging me to go to go to man up. And he said, you know, um, I was on the verge of throwing in the towel in my marriage. He says, but today I made a decision to man up. I made a decision to man up. No more complacency. No more complacency. Number four, what else does Jesus say in Luke 9? The devil wants you to be complacent about sharing your faith with others. So now in verse 26, Jesus talks about sharing your faith. Okay? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I'm reading from verse 26, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. When we stop sharing our faith, our faith gets complacent. So I ask you the question, how many people have you told about Jesus lately? Because if you're not telling anybody about Jesus, it's a good sign that your spiritual life is falling into this trap of complacency. Pastor Andrew Brunson, perhaps you heard about him. About 10 days ago, he was released from being uh, almost two years in a prison in Turkey. How many of you heard of Pastor Andrew Brunson? And praise God, through uh, just the hand of God, he was released and visited our president, prayed over our president. But I was listening to him on the radio on Friday because he was being interviewed about his experiences in the Turkish prison. See, they threw him in prison because they thought he was a spy. Now, he wasn't a spy. He was, just, he was an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's what he was, a missionary to his city and a country that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I tell you his story because part of his story, he relates how he fell into the trap of complacency for a while. He says the police officers, the military are, were very strong Muslims. The most difficult thing for me was a spiritual environment because they were all very committed, strong Muslims. 
constant Islamic prayers were going on, uh, reciting of the Quran. It was like a Muslim house of prayer 24-7. And he says, the first year that I was there in prison, I, I was broken down. The second year, I began believing God and that God was rebuilding me. I began speaking words of truth. And he goes on to talk about how was he, when he was in prison there in Turkey, he goes on to say that there was a time that his faith began to get complacent. And he started asking God, God, why? I'm serving you. I'm loving you. I'm a missionary. I'm preaching the word. And yet I'm in prison? Look at the way I'm being treated. And he started sharing how his faith was beginning to get complacent. And then he said, I snapped out of it. I started speaking words of truth. Sometimes I refer to them as words of life. He used the terminology words of truth. I started speaking the truth of God's word over me, and everything changed. Everything changed. And, of course, about 10 days ago, he was released and is now back in the United States. Bill Johnson says this. Let me give you his quote. Your courage draws people out of complacency into their destiny. I'm going to say that again. Your courage draws people out of complacency into their destiny. I also read a story of Helene Mostekowitz, and she was a Jewish-Belgian girl who, although she was able to protect herself, she had a deep concern for her parents. You see, this was a time when the Holocaust was happening, and she secured permission to smuggle her dad and mom out of Belgium to England. And when she approached her dad about this possibility, about this good news that she could get them out of Belgium because they were being persecuted because of their Jewish faith and their Jewish upbringing, dad told Helen this, uh, you know what, uh, it's okay. Uh, don't worry about that. You're overreacting, Helen. We don't need to leave. And she kept on saying, Father, the Gestapo is arresting more and more Jews around here. Sooner or later, you're going to be one of those, and it's going to be too late. No, Helen, no, the Germans couldn't possibly search every nook and cranny in our city. And besides, the war can't last forever. I don't, I don't see that it's likely that they're going to come, over, come after us over here. So he said no. He was complacent about the opportunity to protect himself against the enemy. Two weeks later, she got word that, he was him, that his, her parents were captured, taken to Germany, and killed. They were complacent about the attacks of the enemy, and it led to their death. There are many Christians right here in the United States of America who God is saying, would you wake up? The devil is out to steal, kill, and to destroy. And if you're not careful, then he's going to trap you and your spiritual life could be dead. You've got to be aware of the devil's tactics. But there's so many Christians who say, oh, that's all right. I'll stay right here in my comfort zone. I'll be right here continuing to live in my complacency. What they're pretty much saying is, I'll stay right here in the devil's trap. Unfortunately, complacency is the devil's tactic. The devil has many tactics, unforgiveness, picking up offense, guilt, mind games, retaliation, lust, temptation, disobedience, hatred, lies, 
The devil is for real. But I have some good news. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. I got to tell you, as I close this message today, I got to repeat a story that that, uh, we heard at Man Up yesterday. For those of you men that heard this, just bear with me because I love this story. It applies to what we're saying. A little boy was uh, being tucked into bed by daddy. And the little boy was uh, saying, Daddy, don't turn off the lights. Leave the light on. Dad said, okay, well, why do you want me to leave the light on? Well, because I'm, I'm scared of the devil. The Bible teacher was telling us that the devil is, is out to get us, and the devil does all these evil things, Daddy, and I'm scared of the devil. Uh, Daddy, can you pray for me that I won't be scared of the devil? So Daddy went by his son's side, and he said, nope, I'm not going to pray that. And the son was a little surprised. Daddy, you're not going to pray for me? No, I didn't say I'm not going to pray for you, Daddy said. I'm going to not pray that particular prayer that you won't be scared of the devil. What I want to pray over you, son, is that the devil would be scared of you. (laughs) I want to pray that the devil would be scared of you. That's the way he prayed. My friend, as we close out this sermon series of the devil's tactics, I want to pray that over you. That you know the devil good and well. You know his tactics. You know what he's up to. You know his lies. You know uh, the traps that he tries to put on you. But you know what? I'm going to pray that the devil would be afraid of you. No more do we have to live in the intimidation of the devil. But no, (laughs) greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Can we give Jesus some praise right now? And would you stand with me as we prepare for a time of prayer? You know me, I like to do declarations. I like to boldly proclaim what God is speaking to us. And I want to do the same. As we, as we make our declaration and prepare for a time of prayer, I want to use Scripture. Because I believe that our a battle is, is, is a spiritual battle. And we need to combat the enemy and its tactics with the Word of God. So I want to read through this once, and then if you're in agreement, then you can follow along with me. But this is what I'm declaring today. Psalm 91.11 says that God commands his angels to guard me. I believe it. Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe it. 1 John 4.4 says greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I believe it. Hebrews 13.5 says that God will never leave me nor forsake me. I believe it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that when I am tempted, God provides a way out. I believe it. James 4.7 says that when I submit to God and resist the devil, the devil will flee. I believe it. Romans 8.31 says that if God is for me, who can be against me? I believe it. Romans 8.37 says that I am more than a conqueror. I believe it. Today I declare that I will live with the authority of the Father, the promises of the Word, the mind of Christ, the protection of God's angels, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so be it. Amen. How many of you agree with me? Now, if you're in agreement, would you repeat after me? Here we go. Psalm 9111 says that God commands His angels to guard me. I believe it. Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. I believe it. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I believe it. Hebrews 13, 5 says that God will never leave me nor forsake me. I believe it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that when I am tempted, God provides a way out. I believe it. James 4, 7 says that when I submit to God and resist the devil, the devil will flee. I believe it. Romans 8, 31 says that if God is for me, who can be against me? I believe it. Romans 8, 37 says that I am more than a conqueror. I believe it. Today, I declare that I will live with the authority of the Father, the promises of the Word, the mind of Christ, the protection of God's angels, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So be it. Amen. We proclaim it. We declare it in the name of Jesus.